Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 302. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler reviews of What If Season 2, episodes 6 through 9. Before we break down those episodes, want to let you know once again about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber and on Apple Podcasts via Apple Podcasts subscriptions. So you can find it in the same feed that you find these MCU Fan Show episodes on Apple Podcasts. And you can subscribe to hear us talk about extra MCU topics, including first impressions of Marvel Studios Echo, which recently dropped on Disney Plus, also on Hulu in North America. So be sure to check out Fan Show Plus at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber and Apple Podcasts. Also, please be sure to follow us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And thanks in advance to everyone who is about to share their review. Now, time for our reviews. On with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? Happy belated birthday, Paul Herman. Thank How you. you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you for so much. It was a fun birthday of being uh, diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, that's why you probably have not gotten this episode in a while, guys. So thank you for being patient. Uh, but then we got a little, even a little bit later when my furnace went out when we were supposed to record. And I, I told Sean, like, I can record, but... Uh, I got some depressing matters to attend to. So, and we, and, we, and as I told you, as I uh, responded, I said, "Hey, look, <laughs> you know, we're obviously in the midst of the NFL playoffs, which didn't go great yes. for me, but um, happy to be there. It's always uh, yeah. much love to my 2023 Los Angeles Rams. But in any event, obviously with football, it tends to be an all-weather sport. Podcasting, mm-hmm. however, is not. So if the furnace yeah. isn't working, yeah, we can go ahead and wait for you to to get it fixed, yeah, and then thank you. You know, what if we'll still be waiting? Yeah, and, and thank you. And by the way, for the those who are wondering, we we figured it out. Our pipes froze, and so um, what was happening was it, it was flooding, so it would stop working. So we had to kept we couldn't find like things to buy to like to un you know to unthaw the the whatever the pipes. So we had to keep dumping water every basically every like hour um, to have it keep coming on. So. But finally, they they de thawed and we're fine now. But yeah, it was for a while we thought we were we were in trouble, and that was kind of stressful. So it all worked out. I'm here now. I am. I gotta tell you, spoiler alert. I am effing excited to talk about these four episodes. I am effing excited. Yes, these four episodes. I mean, look, we you can go back to what we said in episode 301 of MCU Fan Show. And, you know, before we started our new HGTV podcast, a bunch of the other with Paul talking about his frozen pipes, but all the things, all the different podcasts that we do that we normally don't record. We have our NFL show. Now we have our HGTV show. It's fantastic. But these episodes, I mean, I, you go back to 301. Obviously, we were big fans of pretty much all of those episodes, except one, except the, the Tony Stark, Grandmaster, Sakaar episode that still had a lot, there was a lot of fun in that episode, just maybe didn't measure up to what we had seen. But we really saw things reach another level with that fifth episode um, of what if Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper, the you know, Captain America Winter Soldier-esque uh, version of, of events for Captain Carter. And so we loved that. And my own journey and what I'll really remember with what if season two is how they really flipped a switch. I mean, things were already going great, but then the level that they hit 
with that fifth episode of season two and the run that that started, especially the first two episodes that we're going to discuss. I think five, six, and seven are some of the best things that we've seen from Marvel Studios in recent years and, and certainly amongst the best of of what if. And and look, that's not to take away from all the nice things I'm about to say later on in the show about episodes eight and nine, but five, six, and seven, uh, I found to be the most memorable and most exciting and most moving episodes of what if season two. And uh, really just a testament to the, the quality work that was delivered throughout this series. And I am so excited that we are getting season three as they teased us with that clip of Winter Soldier and Red Guardian and Bill Foster. Like, I think uh, it's going to be so exciting. I know we're going to wait a while, even though it says coming soon. I know in, in interviews they've mentioned, you know, maybe we'll still get what if season three by the end of 2024, but it's hardly a promise. So I don't know when we're going to get more what if, but I am excited to get more what if whenever we can. In the meantime, though, we've got several great episodes to savor, some of which we have already talked about and the rest that we are about to, beginning with What If Season 2, Episode 6, What If Cahorty Reshaped the World, directed by Brian Andrews and written by Ryan Little. And the setup for this episode is that before Odin could could choose exactly where he wanted to stash away the Tesseract, Ragnarok came to Asgard much earlier and so as Odin holds up the Tesseract to try and defend himself and Asgard from Surtur, we see that Asgard is destroyed, but the Tesseract is not. It's cracked a little bit, but it survives. It still makes its way to Earth just into a different area, into a lake into that becomes a forbidden lake as various uh, Native American tribes end up warring over this, uh, this untold power. And also what's happening, though, is people who are going into that Forbidden Lake are disappearing and never, ever returning. But everybody's been staying away for quite a long time by the time we actually get into the present events of this story that introduce us to Kahorti and Wata, who appears, I think, is her younger brother. And so when we see uh, them just, it starts off innocently enough of them just chasing after each other, and then they come upon this forest where we see these fallen, we, we see those who have fallen in conflicts in the past, and they hear about the Forbidden Lake, although what they see initially is a lake above the lake. It seems safe and ordinary because it is, and there are ducks there. They eventually end up at the Forbidden Lake when they are uh, when they ultimately find themselves on the run from some, conquist- some conquistadors, and that really sets it up with Cohorty to go through. So that's as much as I want to you know, go through to catch us up to the present events of the episode that really start turning Cohorty into a superhero, at least in terms of giving her superpowers. But overall, Paul, I thought this was such an outstanding episode. I loved this. This was one that I already had on my list. I, I had it highlighted as one of my most anticipated episodes of What If Season 2. They announced Cohorty as a brand new character for What If for the MCU. In the series, they announced it, I believe it was back in last March, so about nine months before the episode was ultimately available to us on Disney+. Plus. And I was so excited by that because it's something, Paul, that you and I have talked about mm-hmm. actually for a number of years, is giving yeah. the MCU an opportunity to introduce an original superhero. And I think that obviously there are tons of characters that the MCU still needs to catch up with, and we're looking forward to that. But I also feel like at this point, the MCU has done so much that it's earned the space to introduce an, a, an original character and make her a featured player. 
And also for those of us, uh, Paul, you know, speaking of birthdays, who are old enough to remember, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool when something like that happens. And it is really rare if you can see. And I don't want to, again, put too much expectations on a character like Cahorty when she's only been available on Disney Plus for less than a month. But, you know, in Batman the Animated Series, we were introduced to a character who had never existed anywhere mm-hmm. else, Harley Quinn. And then look at what she became in the comic books and feature films and yeah. video games mm-hmm. everywhere else. Yep. And as I said, that is more the exception than the rule. I mean, we've seen, you know, characters like Coulson in the MCU, but not a full-fledged superhero or supervillain. Like Cohorty has the potential to the potential to be on the hero side. And again, I stress, this is not me saying that the next 30 years for Cohorty are going to go the same as the last 30 years have gone for Harley Quinn. I'm not trying to put that level of expectation out there, but just that that potential can exist is great, but more importantly, just here and now, forgetting about what's going to happen after this, it starts with telling a great story to introduce the audience to this new character and I feel like they absolutely did that in What If Cohorty Reshaped the World. What'd you think? Man, okay, <clears throat> I want to make sure everyone understands when we talk about this, I stay away from everything. You see more stuff than I do, probably. Not, I don't and I don't even off. see as much as I, I used to see, because I've, yeah. I've adapted more of your philosophy because of their habit of showing too much. So I've pulled yeah. back, but this was one that I, right. you know, when they announced Cohorty, this was one that got my attention. Yeah, so I, I try to stay away, away from everything. And I had no idea that I didn't look at the titles that were coming through. Um, I just knew season two was coming and I'm going to watch it, et cetera, et cetera. And when I got to this, I didn't, I just read like the little synopsis of said, like, you know, Odin has a Tesseract. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Okay. I, I, I saw someone and I didn't recognize them. And I just kind of thought, okay, whatever. We'll just, whatever. And I started watching the episode, Sean. And I'm like, huh, okay. I have no idea who these people are. It's cool. Um, and it, it wasn't like bad, but I was like, it was just kind of like, okay, what's what's going on here? And as it got through, I'm like, okay. As soon as we get to the whole idea of the Tesseract breaking and it, it, that whole thing, I went, okay, this has my attention because this is going something. It's really taken the, like what I love about continuity and all the stuff that What If really does and taking it <clears throat> and putting it on its ear. And doing such a great job of introducing a really neat and different concept that even the comic books hasn't really done. I mean, the Cosmic Cube, I think, breaking is not, you know, again, Tesseract, Cosmic Cube are very different things in different, you know, the comics and the movies. But yeah, because it's not a Cosmic Cube releasing its own energy. It's the Tesseract as a housing of the Space Stone now releasing Space Stone energy. Exactly. Which is very powerful energy, though, as we've seen in the MCU. And then, of course, as we see in this episode. Yeah, so all that to be said, um, when she, when Karomi comes in to play with this. Cohorty. Cohorty, sorry, Cohorty. I'm so bad with names. Everyone knows this. Cohorty. Um, Cohorty. And I just, I was smitten by the character because of how well this short amount of time, Sean, they were, got me invested with the character with, you know, again, it's, it's quick. And I love this condensed storytelling because they do a lot of heavy lifting, and it, but it's also really engaging. And I, I immediately attach myself to this character. And I love the fact that there's no English. Like, it's all subtitles, you know, besides The Watcher. And I just loved that it, it, really, it really helped me get into the, the, the mind frame of the story, Sean, 
with all those different things. And I love this different timeline. It just, I love the, it was, it's a, it's a very daring episode on so many different levels. And I was, I was blown away of how much I was invested in a character that I had that was brand new that I realized going forward. I'm like, this character's new. I, I, you know, and I'm not saying I know everything about Marvel, but I know, know a little bit, you know, and I'm like, this character's new. I've never even knew this character existed. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty positive. And I was in, so engaged. And I, I gotta tell you, I, I thought this episode was incredible. I thought this was, and we can talk more about it in a second, but I just want to say right now, Cordy, I, fell in love with immediately and i thought the writing and the pacing of this episode is so perfect this this episode could be in my opinion one of the best written things in mcu like i I mean i'm being serious like when i say that like it's very impressive what is done in this episode with a brand new character with not having a lot of english actually spoken in it and have it mostly subtitles it really drew me in having it be so realistic in that aspect, you know, in, in that world that I, w- I was so blown away at how good it was. Um, and yeah, so I just want to say that off the bat. I think this was the best what if episode ever written, done, maybe one of my what, favorite what if stories, including the comics ever. No joke. And that's tall order. Yeah, it's a close call for me between this episode and the one that we will talk about next because I thought they were both just such outstanding storytelling but what they really did a good job with because obviously you're introducing a lot of new character a few new characters in this but obviously we're centering on cohorty and i think in order to be able to do that effectively in the span of a half hour animated episode you have to find efficient ways to really give the audience a sense of who this character is and they do a great job in this before we even see her go through the portal in the Forbidden Lake before we see any of that, just seeing her relationship a little bit with Wata and and seeing them. Obviously, he's a lot smaller than her, so that kind of explains it, but it's very clear that Cahorty moves at a pace that maybe not everyone around her has always moved, and this is before having her superpowers, and she does have this spirit of adventure and wonder that kind of powers through, but also she is somebody who we also see runs toward danger, at least initially, right? They hear the gunshots as that thunder, they go back and they're at their village and they see what's happening. And then of course they do have to literally run for their lives. But when it looks like Wata is in danger, like how does Kahorty get shot and end up in the Forbidden Lake and then transported to the Sky World? But that's that's because she sacrifices herself to try and make sure that Wata will not be found. So we're seeing all of these things that really show us who Cahorty is. And so we're un- we're already prepared to understand the choices that she's going to make th- uh, throughout because as soon as she gets to the Sky World and it is this incredible place where there doesn't appear to be any sort of imminent danger and everybody is getting these enhanced powers through this space stone energy. It's part of everything that they touch, everything that they eat, everything that they consume. It's all part of it and they're just in this absolutely magical place and the first thing Cahorty wants to do is get out of there because she knows that her people are in danger and they they do establish she's not the only one who wanted to go home right like as the as it looks like she's going as she meets a tarax and they go up in the tree and she's creating these steps to try to get to the portal in the sky and of course she's failing to do so and he points out the record is actually 14 steps so 
She's not the only person who's ever wanted to do that, so it's not saying she's the only hero amongst her people or the only person willing to make sacrifices. There are others that have tried, but then ultimately, you know, we're dissuaded of it because it just, it wasn't working. But what makes Cohorty special is that she kept trying and the drive that she has is just on another level. And we see that here. Everybody's got powers in this environment, but when they go on the hunt, we see that Cohorty has another gear that they don't. And she even has the not only the powers to be faster than everybody, because everybody's got a lot of super speed here, but what she uses to move things in space, including those creatures where they're getting the 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 space stone fruit off of their backs. Like she's levitating these giant animals in the air and setting them back down gently. You don't want to end up in front of them. And then she, which means, of course, she's going to. But the way that she handles that, like we see the other, we see the other levels to her power, but it only really hits home for me. I think it only really resonates emotionally to where you don't just think, okay, so coincidentally, she just happens to be the most powerful one. We're given these examples that her drive isn't necessarily the yeah. same as anyone else. This, these, Her increased powers are really a manifestation of the power of her spirit and her drive to, to help and her drive to help and protect everyone. Like as, as it becomes the, the thing of we can use these powers to go home and, and help other people, you know, Cohorty is looking at it as a, as a different place. It's easy to fall into the the safety that they feel there, although that safety is is ultimately compromised later on in the episode. But when she, even after a successful defense of, of the people who are there, Cohorty sets herself apart of, look, I want to help everyone. I want to protect the people who are there uh, or who are here in the sky world. I want to protect the people who are back home. And if we are worthy of these powers that we have, like these are the types of things that we should be doing. This is the responsibility that we should take to take upon ourselves to look out for everyone. And she's looking at it through a different lens than everybody else is. And that's what shows that her her power level is it's representing who she is internally. And that's just great storytelling. And it's a great voice performance by Devery Jacobs, by the way, who's now playing yeah. Bonnie in live action on Echo on Disney Plus. But and another well, shout out to wow. uh, another shout out to Reservation Dogs because Devery Jacobs was one of the stars of that show. Incredible show via FX on Hulu. Everybody should check it out. All three seasons are now currently available. Um, it's an outstanding show. She's an outstanding actor and did such a great job bringing Cohorty to life through her voice. Obviously, the writing was outstanding. The animation was great. Everything about this and like the the appeal of the sky world was very real. Like this was really was this truly magical place that just seemed like, yeah, if you can spend an eternity here, nobody ages, nobody dies. And as Atarak says, it's like, we're meant to be here, but Cahorty sees it as, as something else as seeing. It's not just meant, not about being meant to be here. It's meant to use these powers yeah. for good and use these abilities to make sure that ever that no one is under threat. It all represents who she is, and it's all a the result of the types of choices that she makes. And as I said, that's just really good storytelling and really good character work in short order. It doesn't feel fast. It does no pun intended. It doesn't feel rushed, yeah. but it doesn't change the parameters of what you have to do in a thirty minute episode. But you yeah. can you can accomplish a lot in very little time if you are very very careful about the choices that you make and the choices you show your character making. And that's what they execute amongst other things perfectly throughout this episode. Yeah. I, I think to me, like they, the execution on all levels 
the voice acting, the writing, the animation. Animation's just been inc- impeccable, I think, this season. I've always liked the, the animation, but I really thought it, it's gone up another level this season. And, you know, the, the, end, the end battle scene is just so good. And it, it made me, I, I got to tell you, the first thing I'm thinking is, Marvel editors of the comics need to really bring this character in. You can, and these characters are so easy to bring in so easily, but even then it's like, I, 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 you gotta wonder if maybe she'll play a part in the MCU, um, multiverse saga. I hope she does, you know, in live action. She should, because she's a really intriguing character and we'll, and we know she's not done necessarily yet. And so, you know, just to kind of, for me to put a, uh, a, a button on this, uh, my, my thoughts on this episode are going too long. I, I just really think that the, the writing of this episode was so, so great. The dialogue was perfect. Even though I'm, you know, it's all, it's, it's again, no English is being said. It didn't matter. And that might be a detriment for some people. And I'm, I'm just, it was a great example of why you should not be worried about that when you're making these kinds of stories. Don't worry about having to like, Oh, we have people to read subtitles. God forbid, you know? And it's, it really is re- refreshing to see something. And it was probably one of the most refreshing things I'd seen in a long, and, and honestly, and, and, and I think to me, people are, are going to talk about, you know, Marvel's this Marvel's that nowadays, but I got to tell you, you know, when they're putting the material out like this, this season and specifically this episode just tells me that like things are, aren't as bad as people say they are one and that they actually are pushing the boundaries in some ways. And I think it's really impressive. And I think I want to see Cohorty, a lot more in, in, in the season three and in the, I think the live action, uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just sometimes the way people attach to narratives, like everything's either great or everything's going right. horribly and sure. neither of it, neither is ever true. And so even when things were great consistently in the MCU, it's not like everything they put out was completely flawless. Even the great things, even the near perfect things. That's why we say near perfect and the stuff that, you know, that's been coming out over the past few years. Like I maintain there's a lot of revisionist history pretending that everybody's hated everything since Endgame. That's just so not true. And I remember 2021. It wasn't that long ago. I know everything feels like forever ago, but there was a lot of good stuff that people were very happy with. And then obviously a few things, you know, a few misses here and there over the past couple of years. But what if has been outstanding? And, and absolutely, this is the stuff that people should be looking at and paying attention to. I know obviously animation doesn't get as much of the attention as the live action. And that's just, you know, bias against the medium in, in many ways, even bias that people aren't, it's not like people are actively saying, I don't want to watch cartoons. It's just people may not look at it as seriously or consider it. Um, it may not occur to them to consider it the way they do as they, as automatically as they do the live action stuff. But that doesn't change what the quality of the storytelling actually is here. And, there are a lot of great moments. I mean, you mentioned the battle scene, but even Cohorty, after there is an attack in the sky world and we see her, you know, standing up in front of everybody, she reaches a new level with her, with her power, doesn't need steps anymore, brings the portal in the sky down to them. And the speech that she gives to motivate everybody to walk through, uh, to walk through that portal with her in order to help saying that, here she is speaking to her ancestors who obviously she respects, she reveres, but she's also saying to them that they have forgotten their origins and they can, but she can't. And she can't do that while she knows that her people are hurting. She says she's going to keep her people in front of her and she's going to help all of her people, you know, in the world from which she came as well as in Skyworld. 
And she says that they have to learn to move or they'll be stuck forever. And that's just, it's a great, powerful speech from her. But then also her resolve, her commitment there, that initially she does walk through the portal alone. She doesn't know as she turns her back and heads back to the the world that she came from, she doesn't know that everybody is going to be with her. So there she is uh, facing down this army by herself to try and save her people. And she's doing incredibly well. And then when it looks like maybe it's not going to work, when we see that that cannonball breakthrough as she's stopping all of those cannonballs and one of them gets through, then her people are there and, and they help defend her. And it's just this incredible scene. And as she speaks to Wata telling him to observe and see the faces of the people who are doing this this day and all the extraordinary acts that they're performing and the songs that will need to be written about them. It was just so incredibly powerful. And then ultimately, uh, Don Rodrigo, was she prevails over Don Rodrigo in his army. And then she continues on all the way to the throne of Queen Isabella of Spain. And as Queen Isabella is, is refusing the idea of peace and feels ordained to rule, Cahorty is the one to disabuse her of that notion because all Cahorty wants to do is maintain peace. She even says the health of our health depends on your health, wanting everybody to be able to work together and be at peace. And Queen Isabella continues to try and resist that idea until Cahorty makes it clear that she cannot. And we have this peace that's achieved. Not that it's it's not treated as some naive cure-all that Cahorty reshapes the world in a way that is perfect forever and for always. And it's this easy solution, because even when Strange Supreme shows up moments later, makes it clear of how long is this really going to last. Obviously, there is no one-step and one-stop solution to having this permanent global peace. That's just not going to happen. But the way Cahorty was trying to make that happen, you believe that she had the power to do it or power to maintain it, except for things maybe changing as Strange Supreme intervenes. But it is such a powerful introduction to a character, such an outstanding story just all by itself as as one full, complete story, uh, an origin story of this new hero in a 30-minute episode of What If?, such an outstanding job. Like you, Paul, I'm a huge fan of Cohorty, and that was how I felt with this being a most anticipated episode for me, is the potential that could be there of an original MCU character, but that potential is never realized if you don't start with a great introductory story, and we got that in this. Like You have to have it so that the audience that watches this episode wants to see more of Cohorty, and I definitely felt that way coming out of this story. Obviously, we will talk about Cohorty again when we get to episode nine, but I also want to see more of Cohorty beyond What If. Would love to see this character be brought into Marvel Comics. Would love to see this character pop up somewhere in live action in the MCU at some point. Love to see this character again in season three of What If. I do hope this is a character with a bright future because she's off to an incredible start And I'm very excited about where she can go from here. But just an an awesome episode and uh, an awesome, awesome introduction to this brand new character that is just really, really exciting. And again, just untold possibilities in the future. Now let's move on to What If Season 2, Episode 7. What if Hela found the Ten Rings? As I said, Paul, I have this one. It's splitting hairs between this one. In episode six, um, this episode uh, directed by Brian Andrews, written by Matthew Chauncey. It's a very different episode than the one that we just broke down. But at the same time, what it's doing 
I mean, I knew I was going to be excited about Cohorty and a brand new character being introduced in the MCU. That part I, I knew was going to be a, a really exciting prospect and that I was obviously going to be excited about it. When I saw the list of episode titles, I actually didn't originally have this on my list of most anticipated episodes because the title is a little deceiving. Like, what if Hela found the Ten Rings? You're thinking, okay, so here's Hela with Ten Rings powers instead of others, instead of the power set that we're more accustomed to from Thor Ragnarok, that are very Gore the God Butcher from the comic books. It was interesting that uh, that in this story about what if Hela found the Ten Rings, it's not really about that at all. She never even wields the Ten Rings in this episode. It's something that is so much better. It's not, it is a story I didn't know I wanted. I didn't know I needed a redemption story for a character like Hela. I never would have expected that. I never would have even thought to ask for something like that especially with the way that Hela has been had been portrayed in the live action MCU but in this in the endless possibilities of what if there has to be a timeline where Hela makes some different choices perhaps because things have uh, play out a bit differently and in this one it's Hela being banished to Midgard very much in if you know, even with dialogue lifted slightly modified for to make it more relevant to Hela than Thor but a scene very reminiscent of Thor being banished to Midgard in his first film in 2011. We get that version of events for Hela instead of being banished to hell or anything else like that. And then meeting Wenwu and then we go on from there. But just and, and I thought this was an incredible story that did such a fantastic job of giving Hela this redemption arc. And redemption was very much a recurring theme throughout this season of what if maybe not necessarily as not with the same level of emphasis in every single episode of the season, but certainly a large point of emphasis in this one. And we'll, of course, get into the specifics, Paul, but I thought this was a really powerful episode that I loved a lot. Yeah, this was one that when I looked at the... I kind of glossed over when I was when I played it. I saw Hela gets power of the 10, and I, I just thought, oh, Infinity Gems. or so. I, I didn't even look at the whole thing. As, as I'm watching it, and... I gotta tell you, when when this is a great episode for the record, I it, I totally get what you're saying, splitting hairs. I did not expect to love this episode. You had talked a lot about this with me before, and I and I you know I get on respect what you said, but I was like, eh, I'm sure I like it, you know, whatever. Um, love you know, love Cahorty episode, but then when they start going full on, like it's 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 she's going the the route of Thor when he's like, I banish you to Midgard. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is very interesting. And then when she winds up with, you know, when Wu, uh, you know, AKA the Mandarin, the 10 rings, I went, Oh God, the 10 rings. Oh, Oh, okay. This is interesting. And I love how they took the same idea of Thor's, you know, again, his whole journey to Midgard and took that same kind of idea, but then reshaped it to Hela. But in that, that, that is just effing brilliant. Like that is such an inspired idea. And again, I just, I come away with so many of these premises are so perfect and the execution of them are so great because what makes what if so good, you can do these things, but you have to do it in a very, you have to do it in a way where it makes sense, but super fun and have it be a tale worth telling. And they just understood the assignment. Every episode, it seemed like understood the assignment and this is a no no different 
when she, you know, when she get tries to get the 10 rings and then that whole thing, and then gets trained. I mean, I'm like, this is so good. I was, I was again, wasn't anticipating being sucked in, got sucked in Sean. And I'm like, Oh man. And I love the fact they played Odin as a bad guy. Yeah. Like that. I think that is not, that is something that is played up a little bit. He's kind of like the anti-hero in the comics a little bit. He's a good guy, but he's not exactly a great guy. And I like the fact that they went that route with this because I think that goes under, under told a little bit in the MCU because obviously he went and he, um, you know, he, he adopted yeah. Loki. All and- we ever, yeah. All we ever see in the live action MCU is the benevolent King. I mean, we're told right. by Hela, we're told in Thor Ragnarok that he wasn't always that way, but there's a difference between being told that as, you know, part of the setup for Hela's backstory in Ragnarok versus actually seeing it play out in this story yeah. and seeing him behaving mm-hmm. this way that I think that's part of why I love this episode so much. Not mm-hmm. only does it do a great job for Hela, this version of Hela in this timeline for this episode of what if it actually does a great job for Hela in Ragnarok. I, I think it deepens mm-hmm. the understanding of her perspective in that movie, because now you're seeing a little bit more granted. A lot of things are playing out differently, but I think there are enough similarities in Hela's experience in this timeline versus what we're used to in the sacred timeline that it still tracks and it can still deepen that understanding of why Hela feels the way that she does, except in this version of events, she ends up with this opportunity, not that she was really looking for it, but she ends up with this opportunity to examine what she really wants and why she's wanted the things that she wants and examine her own experience to come out of it better on the other side you know an opportunity that maybe she never really had in thor ragnarok and i think that is really interesting in how what if kind of plays these things is how we see different versions of these characters and we see them on different sides of different moral and ethical lines that where we've seen them in previous installments of the mcu and you really see how the sum of someone's choices is ultimately you know the the makeup of who they are and, and where they ultimately land on a lot of these issues. I, I think it's just a really interesting way to explore mm-hmm. these characters and, and deepen our understandings of them. And I feel like this episode really did that for Hela to the greatest extent, but certainly also to Odin, but also Wen Wu, who is portrayed. Yeah. Uh, we see him at a different time. You know, this is before anything that happened, obviously long before any of the events that we saw or most of the events that we saw in Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And so we see a different, uh, we get a different point of view towards him as well. And I just, I, I loved it. Everything that they did about this, and again, well, it's begging to get into more specifics, but I, I think in the, in terms of what this episode accomplished, they, it, I think it accomplished a great deal. Yeah, I, I think this episode accomplishes the fact that the the characters from, from uh, Asgard are a lot more, complex than we probably give him credit for even though i love hella in in ragnarok i think she's great um and i think that at the same time i like the idea of showing that you know odin is not a, a completely great father and you know and or how would say this he's not perfect and i think that when you when you have pride yeah. in your king his second attempt at being a father was a lot better than his first Exactly. And the fact that, you know, he, again, when he adopts Loki and takes him in as his own, um, you know, those are, those are good moments. Those are, those are proud moments that anyone should be part, be proud of. But 
Uh, I think they kind of hint as much in that in, in Ragnarok, like, you know, your sister, you know, maybe he made mistakes. Again, I haven't seen Ragnarok in a while, so I don't remember exactly what the writing was for that character. But either way, I think it goes without saying that it was a really interesting idea to really play up that. And I think to really understand, I think, like you said, the motivations of Hela. And I think that when you have Wen Wu and the fact that she's like not, you know, they, you could have gone down that route of like having them fall in love, which, which honestly... I was like getting ready for it because they did a great job of really showing how, why he would be attracted to someone with mm-hmm. so much power like himself. Right. Like his kids before he's like, you know, just, just cause like, just like in, in Shang-Chi, like you're, you're being consistent within the characters because what does he, you know, he meets, uh, again, I can't remember her name. I'm really bad with names. Well, I think he um, was, but, a, he was attracted to the fighter in Hela cause she's actually, she's yeah, actually exactly, not yeah. that powerful. Right. Like when she shows right, up, right. like she thinks she's got all of her powers. Oh, wait, I don't, um, and obviously is not able to. She's not worthy, although it's not the enchantment isn't necessarily worthy. It's, I love that. Should she know? So should she know mercy? But basically, this the crown love enchantment's it. version yeah. of worthy, um, similar to Mjolnir. But none of that ultimately works. She doesn't have her powers. But what she does do is when it is just even though you know she she does bleed and her she finds her mortal blood revolting. That I thought was funny. I, and I will go ahead and just say that like Kate Blanchett. Incredible that she uh, so grateful that she lent her voice she's to fantastic. Hela in this. She had fantastic. so many hilarious one-liners. I mean, when she's writing with Morris towards Talo, being like, "You're not the first ass I followed into battle." That was awesome. Like she was cracking me up throughout this entire episode. So I won't just recite all the funny lines because they're not going to be as funny when I say them. But yeah, so many. I was laughing so hard throughout the episode. In addition to having the story emotionally resonate with me, but I, I think that. What Wen Wu saw in Hela was he just saw that fight. And, you know, and initially she holds her own briefly as it's just straight up hand to hand combat. But obviously she is severely outnumbered. So it's not going to necessarily. And then obviously the the power of Wen Wu and the Ten Rings. So but I think as far as Wen Wu is concerned, what he sees, though, is that spirit. He sees that fight and he is very much attracted to that. And he sees this as this relationship that could be mutually beneficial in terms of what they could accomplish together. But I love how Hella points out that she has been down that road, that, you know, the last time there was there was somebody who saw something in me and saw something that could help them, you know, eventually they just got bored. And when they decided they were done, I was just viewed as as a threat and I was cast aside because that's literally what we just saw her father do to her. And I know that that was in a moment where she was being vulnerable and she ends up betraying Wenwu to knock him out and try to get the Ten Rings and she's not successful in that pursuit. But even though you could say all of that was was a ruse, all of that was just to get Wenwu to let his guard down by pretending she was letting hers down, I don't actually think that was true because, or I don't think it's that simple. I think multiple things were true at the same time in that she was speaking to how she truly felt. Yes, part of that was strategy, but she was still being honest within that strategy. And, and we know that because of what she says later on when she's in Talo, that we see the emotional toll that this took on Hela and how could it not? And her point of view on the experience that she had via Odin, that, o- that she was doing everything that Odin had raised her to do. And she was doing it extraordinarily well. And then Odin just up and out of the blue decided that he was done that he was done conquering, that he was stopping at Nine Realms, whereas Hela wanted to continue going on and, and conquering the rest of the cosmos. And for Hela, it was, I don't think it was just about greed and power. I don't think she really 
thought about what else she would even want to do. She wasn't even raised to think about anything else that she would want to do. That's part of her path of discovery in this episode and why I think it's so great. And she never even really thought about it. It was just autopilot of this is who I am. This is who I was raised to be. This is the purpose that I am supposed to fulfill. So I can't just stop doing that. This is the one thing I'm supposed to do is help Odin conquer. And now he doesn't want to do that anymore. So I'm lost. I don't know what else to do. And obviously she reacts uh, with with reasonably anger to all of that. And it sets this up. But I, I love getting that insight into the character. And I think in terms of what it shows about Wen Wu, in terms of the connection that he's starting to feel toward Hela, but also at the same time, I love that they they break apart in the story at that moment so that Hela can really go on more of her own journey in Talo with the tutelage of Jai. And I like that the story isn't naive to that. Like, why would they yeah. why are they going to train Hela? Like, why would they give help her get gain any power when it seems so likely that she would ultimately betray them? It helps when you've got a dragon and the great protector to oh, to manage so that. And when she says message received, like, yeah, like she can't really try anything there. Also hilarious when she points out that her her real enemies are Wenwu and Odin. Oh, and also Odin's new girlfriend, Frigga, whom Hela is not a fan of. Another funny bit in there. But just getting that set up to the training in Talo by first letting us uh, start to begin to understand how Hela really feels about Odin and about her path in life, and and especially at this moment when it's all changed for her, just a really great job of, of breaking down this character to start to give her the chance to build herself back up. Yeah, th- that's a great point, and I think that to me was I wasn't expecting that. And again, this is this was an episode in a story that I didn't know I needed, I didn't know I wanted, and it just goes to show you that when people or, or studios take chances on things like this. You just, you know, people say, Oh, we didn't ask for this. It's like, it's like, yeah, you know what? Like give it a chance because if you would have told me this thing, I'd be like, I, I did I ask for this story? No, but my glad I got it. Hell yeah. And I think that to me, again, it just shows you the creativity of these writers and what Marvel wants to do. Yeah. Quite often um, as fans, but, we don't know what we want and we don't know what we, what we should ask. Yeah. For. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, there's a balance, obviously, I think, but I think for the most part, I don't, I never, in my experience, I never want to assume that I know way more than everybody else that's that's creating these things because of things like this. Because, yeah, we want we don't have like you know, I would love to have more Spider-Man, what if stuff, and what if you know this or that. But you know what, I'm I'm so glad they went down this road this season because these are all out of out of left field complex stories for me that I absolutely adore so and this is episode's a great example of it phenomenal episode kate blanchett man i just she just i just i wish she'd come back i miss i love hella so much such a great character and this episode is great to have her back we'd love the baby ever have a cameo somewhere in the in the in the multiverse saga but yeah this Love seeing her, having her back again for a quick minute. Man, I would love for this version of Hela to show up. Hella, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, Hela the White as we see her at the end, you know, very Gandalf sort of thing with the what we see at the end. Um, not to skip ahead all the way to the end, because there was, there was a particular moment in this episode that I thought was really powerful during the training of Jai training Hela and really talking about the focus and unity and peace, because all... Hell is thinking first is, you know, how do I get these powers? How do I fight better? How do I become more powerful? And really what Jai is, is talking about is it really is having that focus and, and having 
centering herself, knowing who she is and what she wants. And there's a scene that's very reminiscent of it. It reminded me actually of the Loki King of Space scene between Mobius and Loki in the very first episode where Mobius just keeps asking him, like, what do you want? Like, go go be the king of Midgard. Okay, what after that? Go be the king of everything. Loki, king of space. But why? And, and to what end? What is all of that for? And that was key in Loki's journey and his redemption. And here is this version of it now for Hela, where it is getting Hela to go through this process of why she really wants that. Like, what happens next? You conquer the cosmos. You get everything that you want. To what end? What is that ultimately going to do for you? Because in what are you ultimately going to get for that? Because maybe that's going to unlock what it is you truly want and maybe how you actually should go about that because maybe what you want isn't what you think, uh, isn't necessarily what you think it is. And, you know, she's talking about, you know, she gets this flashback to her father when Hela was a child and a king talking about taming his threats to ensure that they fight for him, which is absolutely what he's done to Hela and what he's been, what he's going to try to do when Heimdall points out that, hey, there's this 10 rings power down on Earth, which sets up a conflict at the end of the episode. But Hela, through this conversation, through this training with Jai, comes up with, understand, comes to understand that what she really wants is freedom and this freedom from control, freedom from the control of Odin the freedom to choose her own path. And that is a a huge discovery for her and just such a, a wow moment, I thought, emotionally for this episode because it really shows, I, I think it it changes that perspective from, oh, all Hela really wants is to continue fulfilling this violent purpose, but not really. And that's not what she maybe thought that because that's what she was raised and taught and conditioned to think that she wanted the entire time. But now here in this moment where she finally has a chance to really think for herself and examine what she wants, she wants that freedom to do whatever she feels is best. She wants that freedom to choose her own path for her life because that's something it's never even really occurred to her to do. She maybe thought she was doing that, but she never really was until this moment. And that is what allows her to put her mind at peace, to start to see the lessons that, as Jai is pointing, when you dare to live these lessons, that is how you become a master. But before Hela can become a full-on master of, of everything that she could learn and understand in Talo, although I think Jai is, we see that smile when, when Hela ultimately leaves, knowing that Hela made the right choice, she does have to leave when she sees that Odin has come to, uh, to Midgard but that is a path that she will, as Jai tells her, that she will have to walk alone. So she's not getting any help from Talo as she goes to confront Odin, but she will have some help from Wenwu, also some dragon scale armor that Hela picked up in uh, in Talo. And it's a great shot of like of Hela and Wenwu fighting back to back as they're facing Odin and Odin trying to be this king of acting like he's doing something for Hela. Embrace me, daughter. I have come. Uh, I have come to avenge your name. That was awesome. Like it was so dastardly from Odin, and I loved it for him to pretend and just flat out lie right there. He didn't come to Earth because he thought Hela was in trouble. He came because he learned that the Ten Rings were there. That there was this other power that could be a threat to him. So he's there on Earth now to claim it for himself to tame that power, as he explained to Hela his methodology in that flashback that we saw. And Hela even says that, like, you're only here for the fancy bracelets, which is totally correct. And Odin basically confirms that, but it is willing to offer Hela a spot by his side. So that's 
that's the perfect storytelling. That's what you do. As a character is reclaiming their own sense of identity, their own sense of self, how and trying to define what they want, you have to tempt them with the thing that they thought that they wanted at the beginning of the story, which is for Hela to get a place initially is what she thought she wanted, a place by Odin's side. But that's no longer what she wants. She's no longer want, wants to be part of his conquest. She's not interested in that. She really does want to choose her own path, but she's going to have to fight for it. And she does. And as they're having to separate him from his spear, Gunnir, we get these just great animation in the battle sequence of, you know, of Odin versus Hela. We get a little one on one from them, but also Odin versus Hela and Wen Wu and just really awesome stuff. And she actually does separate Odin from his spear. There's a great Ten Rings punch to Odin from Wen Wu that just looked awesome in this. As I said, the animation was great. And as Hela tries to just offer her hand to end the violence, Odin declines. And then Hela really says back to him what he said to her earlier on in the episode, except Hela really means it, that no god should have dominion over death who has so little appreciation for life. And that is her having learned to show mercy. That is her being worthy of the crown. And it comes to her, and we get this great Hela the White moment as she takes the spear. And then now, of course, Odin is humbled. He's all good now and offers the throne which she accepts because she knows she's going to need that spot in order to unmake Odin's empire. And when he's asking what happened here, she gets one last one-liner from Hela that she gave peace a chance. And then we see what becomes of her. The armies of Asgard and Ten Rings unite, and they become an army of liberators across the cosmos. And we end with seeing them prevent so a, a, an attack we remember from Thanos on Gamora's home planet in Infinity War. Just awesome stuff. And, and just... Incredible writing, incredible performances, really did such a, they did such an amazing job in this episode. Again, I, I never felt like I was, uh, I was asking for a, a hella redemption story. It's not even what I imagined we were getting when we first, when I first saw the title of this episode, but I got so much more than I ever wanted. Or I didn't know what I should want, just like hella didn't know what I should want, didn't know what I was supposed to want. But she had that clarity in her experience throughout this episode, and it was very clear to me uh, that this was a, a really great story and one of the highlights of the season. As I said, you could put this side by side uh, with episode six, but this was just really outstanding work by, by all involved. I loved this episode so, so much. This is going to be one that I will keep going back to. And as I said, it's not only great for this episode. I actually think it makes Thor Ragnarok a movie I already love yeah. just a little bit better because of the additional perspective provided by this episode. So that's that's as good as MCU storytelling gets is when it the mm -hmm. actual the individual story you're being told is outstanding. It's and when it is something that is truly great, truly special, and it makes the stuff you already love. You, it makes you love it just a little bit more. Yep, I, I couldn't say it better myself. That's on the money. I try my best. So now let's go ahead and uh, let's go all the way back, or I guess maybe forward in time period for this one. Let's talk about uh, forward backwards. about what if season two, episode eight. What if the Avengers assembled in 1602? Directed by Brian An Andrews, written by AC Bradley and Ryan Little. And so as we saw at the end of the fifth episode, we saw Captain Carter being pulled into the year 1602. Now we get that episode. There's these portals that are opening up in the sky that are taking people away. Captain Carter's been present in this 1602 timeline for a few weeks. She was pulled in by the Scarlet Witch to try and help undo this anomaly. 
that is uh, that is creating all these issues. We open seeing Loki perform Hamlet. Love the uh, Marvel Studios like title music that they had in there as they're mm-hmm. doing the uh, as they're doing the the play, or as we're seeing the Marvel Studios logo. Um, also, Loki being like acting. Thank you. That was hilarious. Um, Thor is bored. Hela is the one who is ruling this place until a portal opens up. Captain Carter is successfully able to save Loki, but was not able to save Hela. And we see the uh, the scepter, though, appears to have a, a green glow instead of what we're used to, the blue glow that was hiding a yellow glow in the uh, sacred timeline. She can't save Hela. So the now King Thor holds Captain Carter responsible for that failure. And Captain Carter will be on the run because she has failed to stop these occurrences that the Scarlet Witch summoned her to be able to stop. And Thor, Thor is ordering Captain Carter to be seized, and then she gets away. Paul, this episode I definitely had on my list of the uh, of sixteen of most anticipated episodes based on the title because I liked the sixteen oh two Neil Gaiman Marvel mm-hmm. limited series from I don't want to name how many years ago because it just makes me mm-hmm. sad. But mm-hmm. I, I was a, a fan of that comic book, mm-hmm. so I love the idea of how they would apply that concept within the MCU. And while I, I don't think this episode was emotionally, it didn't move me on the level that maybe episode six or seven did. But th- what I was really hoping to get out of this episode was just a lot of fun of the Marvel heroes and villains in this time period. And I feel like I definitely got that. Yeah, this is probably my least favorite of the four we were reviewing today. And it's not like a, I didn't not enjoy it. It just didn't. I just didn't love it as much as the other ones. I did it's like the hard idea. to match up to the other three that we're talking about here today. It is. It is. But at the same time, I liked the fact that Sharon Carter is a part of it. I mean, Captain Carter is, is, is again, another MCU creation that is fantastic. And I, I love seeing more of her. And, um, yeah, funny enough, I've never read and had much interest of reading the 1602 comic book, especially even before I knew more about the creation of it. And then, and even after now, I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. It's, it's a long story, but I digress. Um, yeah, never was a big fan of that like idea. I know Neil Gaiman's a, you know, a very popular writer, um, obviously a legend, um, and Sandman and whatnot. But, uh, this is from what I understand, this is not anything close to the, it's the not. comic book itself. No, it's, it's, yeah, the, they lifted the concept, not the story. Yeah. And that being said, it's a fine, it's fine. I don't, uh, it's more just more of like a, a, a kind of a, a half hour ham ham fest a little bit, you know, like with all like with, again with John Favreau having fun with, you know, being his character and Stark, you know, and I, I think Robin that Hood. might be my favorite thing of the episode is how much Agreed. how much fun John Favreau got to have because he's earned that fun. No, no, I think and he's honestly probably my favorite part of the whole episode. I think he, when he, you know, especially when he turns back into the purple Hulk, I'm like, oh, they use, they use the reuse the purple Hulk design. Perfect. Um, you know, I, it was, I'll say this, it wasn't my favorite, but it wasn't bad by any means. I just didn't love it as much as the other ones. And I really don't have much to say other than that. It was, again, I, I did like the fact, the one thing I will say, John Favreau's character, happy. I was great. Um, I did like the watcher and Captain Carter talking and i yes. like the concept that that is the honestly to me the true blue the true like thing about the episode that kind of kept me in it was the fact that she kept they kept talking and that you know she's trying you know he's basically trying to tell her like you know sometimes yeah. you know you can't help these things yeah. this is what happens and, 
Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting to set up for the next episode too, right? And it was it was cool to get like the more interaction with with the Watcher, and I I think Jeffrey Wright is just so perfect for that role, man. He, he sounds amazing as the as yeah too, um you know to whatever you want how you pronounce his name um the Watcher, uh and I yeah I think that he um I just love seeing him interact more with the characters, and that was probably my favorite aspect of the, of the show itself, especially what it sets up for the next episode. So yeah, not my favorite. I think it's I, I like it, it's it's fun, it's silly. You know, um, again, I have no problem against those things. I think I think I'll, I'll say this. I think it was a good timed episode. And if you're looking at like, you know, as a playlist we or an album, as we've talked before, Sean, you know, it, it felt like after a couple good bangers of like, you know, pr- not, I would say ultra serious, but, you know, I would say like kind yeah, of heavier it's just, yeah, material. It, it's a fun romp, you know, on the heels yeah. of those things before you get into the next the, episode, the finale yeah. that obviously is, mm-hmm. is very action heavy, but also big on some of the emotion. You just kind of needed to have exactly. some, a, a little bit of fun here, which I think was the best thing to do with this concept. So, yeah, I, I thought there I mean, first off, I have to say, I should say maybe my fate. John Favreau is more my second favorite part of the episode. My favorite part is Bearded Hulk. So Bearded uh, Green Hulk, Real Hulk, not uh, not Happy Hogan Hulk, ha- Happy Hulk Hogan, whatever. Like that version of Hulk, uh, I absolutely loved seeing. I was, you know, it's not a gray beard, so it's not full on like maestro vibes. So hopefully that's something that happens uh, at some point someday in the MCU. But yeah, Bearded Hulk, I, I was a big fan of. Uh, and th- that was a lot of fun. Paul Rudd as Scott Lang was awesome. He had some great lines about that, you know, showing them the dance macabre and how he loves swashbuckling. All of that I thought was really funny. So there was a lot of great, you know, there's a lot of great humor in the episode, a lot of great fun action. I think where the episode maybe wasn't quite as strong for me. And on the emotional side of things, I, I loved having these debates between Captain Carter and the Watcher and even him almost coming from it with the assumption of his own cosmic understanding of things. But then turns out that Peggy understands more than he assumed in terms of what's actually happening. You have two different points in time kind of stuck together and she has to find out a way to unstick them. And that turns out, and as Scarlet Witch explains, you got to find the forerunner, somebody else who came from a, a time, uh, a time yet to come who needs to be sent back to where they come from. And then we'll, of course, talk about who that is. But I think that the way they, the way they had those debates and Watcher's perspective of somebody who literally has sat there and watched countless universes die and how he as a result of his experience, the way he views it versus Peggy Carter, Captain Carter, very similar mindset to Captain America. And that's why Peggy and and Steve get along so well is those similar points of view of they just, they, they won't accept that defeat. They won't accept that loss of life. If there's anything that they can do to prevent it, they are going to fight to their last breath in order to help in order to do what they believe is right. What they believe should be done in order to save as many as they can, that's just always going to be their perspective. And that's always going to be Captain Carter's perspective. And it's great to give a character, the Watcher is a perfect character to have the, for Captain Carter to have this sort of debate with so she can, so we can actually hear more of her point of view. It's the perfect source for that. Where the episode didn't maybe work as well for me was the, it's not that it wasn't good, it was the Peggy and Steve stuff. So obviously we have Roger's hood and he ultimately is the forerunner who has to be sent home. 
And it is nice at the end of the episode when Steve is talking about how hopefully somewhere they have their happy ending. And it's very reassuring for us to all have already seen it, to know that that exists based on what we saw at the end of Avengers Endgame. So we know it's out there for them somewhere. So I don't, that part of it was was fine and I, I thought worked well enough. I think the only thing that, and it's not that any of this was bad, it's just I didn't really gain anything from the Peggy and Steve interaction that I didn't already know. And it, it just kind of felt like a note that they can automatically play because they know the way that it affects the audience. Obviously, there's so much great love for for Steve, for Steve, for Peggy, for Steve and Peggy together as a couple and everybody wanting them to end up together and know how in, in so many different timelines and other iterations it is this kind of star-crossed romance that, that never really gets to happen and they don't get to have their moment together. But um, I, I felt like it didn't really do anything different with that. Whereas, you know, I, as we just talked about with the seventh episode with Hela, a complete shift in perspective for that character, a complete expansion of our understanding for that character, even though we're dealing with a different iteration and a different timeline. And I'm not expecting as much of an about face as they just did with Hela in the seventh episode. But if we're going to bring out the Steve and Peggy relationship, it would have been nice to really have something happen there that added to it that again doesn't have to completely alter our perspective because i like the way that we normally look at steve and peggy's romance but something else that just adds extra insight to it even if we're seeing the same thing but just from a different way um and with and more significant differences than just the the aesthetics of the 1602 time period so maybe something like that i, I think would have just made the episode that much better but even without that even with it just mainly sticking to those familiar notes between Peggy and Steve, like it still does work. That's why you kind of play the hits with that episode. And there were other things, like I said, Captain Peggy and the Watcher and their debates that uh, actually allowed something new to be a part of this. And then obviously aesthetically, there was a lot that was new and, and a lot of fun here in this 1602 episode. So, Paul, I, I think it was uh, it was very, very solid, if not uh, obviously, you know, on the level of the two episodes we just talked about or the one that we're about to. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think it's bad. I, I think it was a good, it was placed perfectly in the season um, and what it, what it was meant to do. And I think from a tone wise, it was a good, if you're going to do a fun episode like that, that's a great way to do it. And I definitely enjoyed it more than the uh, Tony being stuck on uh Sakaar, uh, yeah. episode. So yeah, so it's, it, yeah, not my favorite episode, but not a bad one by any means. Still better than, than I would say the zombie episode in season one as well. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. N nowhere near, <laughs> nowhere near the bottom of the list, uh, for me on, on what if, um, although maybe, I don't know, but not in a, not in a bad way, not in like the, uh, still well above, uh, the, uh, the basement of Marvel zombies and, uh, Tony Stark headed to Sakaar. But, yeah, I think there was a lot of great stuff. I did actually like, though, by the way, how Steve became the forerunner, like taking that battle in a great reason for it to be bearded cap in this one. It actually is Avengers Infinity War time period battle of Wakanda for Steve and him striking the time, uh, the time stone on the Infinity Gauntlet. That was a really cool way of, of showing how he got there. So I appreciated that touch to the story. And there was a, there were a lot of fun moments throughout the episode and then when we get to the end, as Peggy, as Steve goes home and Peggy is left behind, everybody goes home except Peggy. She is stranded in 1602 until Strange Supremes arrives with a story to tell. 
and that's setting up what we are about to talk about now, the What If Season 2 finale. So What If Season 2, Episode 9, What If Strange Supreme Intervened, directed by Brian Andrews and written by Matthew Chauncey. So Captain Carter, as uh, told by Strange Supreme, um, I, I do love a uh, quick opening note on the episode that the Marvel Studios fanfare and the logo was all images from What If. That was great. And as we're catching up with uh, Captain Carter and Strange Supreme in 1602, we get a little bit of a, a recap of her being trapped in the past. Strange Supreme serves up a little uh, single malt scotch and then offers a ride home. And we do get to have uh, a little bit of recap of what happened with Strange Supreme, as we remember from season one, before he welcomes Peggy to the Sanctum Infinitum. It's his humble abode where he has been collecting universe killers. He's trying to save the multiverse one universe at a time, as Peggy concludes must be his self-imposed penance from, of course, what he did to his own universe. And uh, Strange Supreme concedes that point, not conceding everything that he's up to. More on that in just a moment. But one of those universe killers has escaped. I thought it was really funny the way Peggy just assumed that that's what happened and started going through her own list of things that movies that she's obviously caught up on and knowing how things have gone wrong. So one of these alleged universe killers has escaped. Peggy is initially reluctant to mess with the multiverse because of everything that she just discussed with the Watcher. But I love that Strange Supreme immediately pointed out, like, she literally just did that in the 1602 episode that we just watched. So it was fine to show Peggy having some hesitation, but also showing that it's it can't possibly be real because we already know that that ultimately, if Peggy thinks she can help, that's exactly what she's going to try and do. So a quick, uh, a, a quick little momentary objection that they just move on from very, very quickly. And Strange Supreme points out they're looking for a universe killer. She's somewhere in the South Dakota Badlands where uh, Strange Supreme had lost her, lost her trail. And so we're seeing what's left of this environment. This happens to be a world where the Project Rebirth explosion claimed the lives of both Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter. So there's no captain in this universe. Hydra prevails, and we see this new Mount Rushmore that is just the Red Skull. That, I thought, was a pretty cool visual. And speaking of cool visuals, the costume update that Strange Supreme gives Captain Carter, that looked great, as well as um, him you know, making his own sound effects as he does it. That part was fun. But I also really love that as we get to this time period, we get another interaction between Peggy and the Watcher where she's just asking him, like, are you just here to narrate or are you actually here to to help out? And it brings up these these points again of interfering versus helping. But, you know, she says, I get involved. You watch. And the Watcher says it's not about watching. It's about seeing. And that feels like a and a massive conversation that they could have at another time. And they'll have time to have that conversation by the time we get to the end of the episode. But as I was alluding to before, speaking of really cool visuals, I love that this scene that introduces Captain Carter and Cohorty to one another, that they took from the visuals from the opening of Age of Ultron with Quicksilver attacking, uh, attacking Captain America in the snow, in the woods, and, you know, a, a blue speedster, or a speedster emanating that blue light, it just looked really cool. And um, it was a great visual setup. Nice. Uh, always love a good shield catch. And Cohorty does that as well. So that was awesome. 
and she has an accurate guess as to why Peggy is there, and Cahorty's saying that she's not the universe killer Strange Supreme is, so it looks like it's going to be time for them to team up, and we'll get to that in a moment. But just this initial meeting between these two characters, Paul, I thought was done really, really well, and I appreciated a visual callback to that moment from Age of Ultron. Again, not the sort of thing I was begging for or needing, but I think mm. these this series overall does a really nice job and just finds little clever ways to pick its spots to just kind of celebrate other moments in the MCU while delivering them in a new way. Yeah, I think that that to me has been the like, first of all, the fact that there's um, a through line for the whole season has been really interesting. Um, I know that was like the first we had a kind of a similar one with the first one, but this one, it seemed like. It just I don't know. It it felt a little more a little more interesting and engaging. And I like the fact that it's a little more simplified when you have, you know, Captain Carter be the consistent one. But then there's uh, you have Cohorty and how, you know, they set up her, you know, episodes later, but she doesn't show up until the very end. So you're almost like, well, we're, you know, obviously Cahorty's going to come back in here. What's what's going on? And so, yeah, the, it's really nice to see like these two characters, you know, with two completely different power levels um team up exactly for you know what's going on and you already know like with strange the way he is like hey what's going on here kind of a thing right and so um i don't know it's it, it's very fascinating to see like i said captain carter be this uh team up with, with someone like a horty and had this whole different pull between uh you know stephen strange and and whatnot and the fact that you know the watcher has to kind of sit back and and you know and for for a little bit and figure this out. It's 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 really interesting to see how when when you know when Strange has to like basically like tell her he, he needs her to be, get Cahorty kind of in line essentially, um, and how Cahorty is just, you know is basically just trying to like survive at this point. And right. and I'm assuming and, and I'm assuming it's the same Cahorty we saw from the previous season, not a different version of it, right? Yeah, so, it should be because he interacted with her at the end. I mean, sure, I, I right. think that what probably happened is you know he was looking for her for a long time. And she pretty much explains like how she would have become involved in this, right? Like she says that while Strange Supreme told Captain Carter that he was collecting universe killers, he was also collecting uh, he was also collecting righteous heroes. So Cohorty would be in the righteous hero camp, as would Captain Carter, presumably. And the whole plan is to basically feed these universe killers and righteous heroes. I don't know how the science of it works, but whatever, we we can just take it. It's uh it's crazy sorcery yeah. in the multiverse, so I don't care. Um it's feeding all of these characters into this forge that he's built and he's using that to try and recreate the universe his own home universe that he destroyed as we saw back in season 1. Uh, trying to make up for what he's done. So the penance that he's paying, he's ultimately not the one paying it. It's all these universe killers and righteous heroes that are ultimately going to be paying the price to try and bring Strange Supreme's universe back. And so I, I think as far as, yeah, it's definitely the same cohorty that we saw in uh, in episode six. But I also really like this as a story point because I felt like this was still out there for Strange Supreme. Mm -hmm. Like even though obviously yeah. he helped at the end of season one, there was still something to him that was unresolved after everything that happened in his own episode where he was highlighted in season one. It felt like this question was still out there for him as a character and, and what what would he ultimately do? And so I, I do buy what they're presenting to us in this uh, in yeah. this episode with Strange Supreme. And then just 
the all-out battle that this sets up, right? When Strange Supreme brings them back and we have Cohorty is being attacked by Strange. She's, she's pleading with Captain Carter that this is not what it looks like and, and Captain Carter is trying to talk Strange Supreme out of it. But ultimately, there is no talking him, talking him out of it. The only option is a multiversal prison riot as she frees and even more get freed all these different universe killers and righteous heroes. We get happy Hulk, happy the freak Hogan or happy Hulk Hogan. We get there's a T'Challa Star-Lord in there. We see Chitari, we see Vision, we see the Great Protector, Corvus Glaive, Captain Marvel, the version of the Collector, very similar to what we saw in season one of What If. Looks like there's a Korg in there, a version of Wen Wu that doesn't appear to be the one that we saw in, uh, in just the... A couple episodes ago in episode seven, there's a little gnome running around. There's Rocket. There's a Dark Elf. There's one that looks like a Thor Hulk, uh, Paul, that appears to be in there Mm. somewhere in this battle. There's a lot of really cool visuals as this episode just goes nuts. And I thought this was the perfect sort of action climax of what they should be doing in a what if season finale of like, let's just have this crazy multiversal fight. And I think while I wouldn't put this episode on the same level as I did uh, like episode six and seven that we talked about earlier in the show. And and I know that's a common thing, right? That usually the finale of a Marvel series, whether it's live action or animation, it's typically not the best episode. Sometimes there, there are exceptions, but for the most part, it usually is a later episode in the series, not necessarily the finale. But I don't really see that as a problem. I don't think the finale always needs to be the best episode, as long as it is still a really great episode all by itself. And I definitely feel like this is. Yeah, I, I think this is actually a pretty good episode, to be honest. I don't think it's um, as good as uh, the uh, uh episode or the Hella episode. But I would say it's probably, in my opinion, I think the third best. I'm trying to think of, you know, I like, and I like a lot of these episodes. Most I'd of them. probably put the fifth episode also in front of this one. The what if yeah. Captain Carter fought the Hydra Stomper? I would, See, I wouldn't I, argue too strongly with someone who didn't, but you know, just my own sure. personal stat no, pers- rankings. Yeah, that's yeah. probably how I'd do it. Yeah, I, I would say this one would go over that one, but like like you said, like there, it's like almost splitting yeah. hairs for that. For me, yeah, it, both it's really not strong a strong episodes. opinion. I'm not fighting with anyone over it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that like that's the thing is I think it's a pretty good episode. Um, I love the <clears throat> just going crazy with it, um, but I also love that they kind of balance out the power levels and and using Captain Carter and Cohorty together. I thought it was really clever. Um, just seeing the power level of Doctor Strange, uh, and th- you know that's something Sean that I think that we've seen more in What If than I think in I, obviously in Multiverse of Madness we see a lot more of that too. But even more so, I think, in What If, you see the power levels of Doctor Strange. It makes me really want on that third film, which I would love to see uh, Sam Raimi tackle it again, because I think there's more insanity as far as the power levels of Doctor Strange to be to be shown um, in this next movie. I think this through these episodes of, of What If. And I think it's another great example of how powerful he is and how, like, when he goes up against someone, it's a... Like you know, Dormammu, and you know, we get uh, Clea in in, in Multiverse of Madness. If they're going to be in the you know in the dimensions and whatnot and going crazy and all that stuff, I mean, 
I would I, to see what we could see in these episodes, Sean. I would love to see that more in the films itself. But yeah, I, I love seeing all the Easter eggs. I tried to look at all the different things. Just, my I just couldn't keep track. My eyes were going all over the place. But no, you have to go back and, and hit the pause button a lot in order to really. And and I still don't know that I've really seen everything that's uh, that's in this episode. But to that point you said about Strange's power level, yeah, this definitely feels like more of Strange Unleashed than we have seen mm-hmm. in live action. Yeah. And look. You're always going to get more dramatic and bigger action in animation than you are in live action. Just like the human characters, like, you know, Batman always jumped way higher in Batman, the animated series than a human being could actually do on a set. So you do have because of the some of that is the medium that even for non superpowered characters and superpowered characters, you're going to see more usually more extreme versions of the action because it's easier to uh, accomplish. It's certainly more affordable to animate it in a, in a series like this as opposed to all the CG and everything you have to do for a live action film. But also you kind of the visuals do need to tend to need have that need to be even more dramatic uh, for just the, the scale of an animated production. So that's part of the reason it, it, animation will always feel bigger in, in terms of action yeah. than maybe we see uh, certain things. But that said, I mean, obviously they can go, they can continue to go. I thought Multiverse of Madness, obviously I have my own complicated relationship with that movie, but visually, I mean, they did a lot of crazy stuff with Strange in terms of his power level. And and I still love everything that Strange did in uh, the Battle of Titan in Avengers Infinity War. Like yeah, I thought true. that was mm-hmm. really incredible stuff. And, and we even get some of that, like him duplicating himself, like we saw him do in Infinity War. Uh, that I, I thought was really awesome, but I know we we skipped over a couple things here. Like our, our beloved Marvel Zombie episode gets a little play here uh, when mm. it's it turns into uh, ca- as they're kind of escaping the prison ride to try and uh, break yeah. up, bust up Cahorty. the forge. I love her line. Oh, her. Yeah, zombies oh, no, are pretty universal. Um, yeah, yeah, as we as we see the uh, zombie Scarlet Witch raising her undead army, which was just really good, like action fodder for the heroes and. I love the zombie Scarlet Witch versus Cohorty fight, and ultimately oh, Cohorty prevails because she just displaces zombie Scarlet Witch somewhere in space. We don't know where that character ultimately ended up, but all of that was cool. I love the Hela versus Surtur rematch, and it works so much better because they brought Surtur back in this season of What If previously to really, it makes the joke land of like really all this guy can say is I am Asgard's doom. And then Hela's like, you, you, they have that moment. Uh, and this, of course, is a version of Hela who has not gone through her redemption arc. But we do see her potential for that later on in this episode when she's falling and she tosses her crown to Captain Carter. All of that, uh, that whole action sequence, I, I thought was great. It was fun. It was funny. And meanwhile, we're also seeing this crazy royal rumble of all these universe killers and righteous heroes and kind of the main hall of the sanctum infinitum there's a lot happening all at once here and it's all just really cool and and really fun and then when they kind of break away from that it's cohorty and captain carter and it looks like now they're going to have to have a showdown with thanos and then he turns to dust because there's killmonger in the infinity armor from season one and then the way Cahorty solves that problem is also great just takes Killmonger using her space stone powers to get Killmonger out of the armor puts him into that main hall into the the mess of the of the fight but that also means Captain Carter gets another costume change in this episode as she becomes Infinity Captain Carter Captain Infinity Infinity I don't Infinity Carter I don't know what name we're using but she looked uh, awesome in in that armor and we're seeing just continuing to see this character 
uh, progress. And, and she needs the power upgrade, right? If we're going to have Captain Carter in a showdown with Strange Supreme, even with the help of Cohorty, Captain Carter was going to need a power upgrade. And she gets it with the Infinity Armor. So that, I thought, was a, a really a really clever idea that also connects season one to season two um, that, and it just, it worked really well and it set up an awesome showdown. Yeah. I think to me that this, this ending was, it could have been really, really over the top and, and ridiculous, but I felt because they focused on only those two characters and had fun with, you know, kind of showcasing, I think the power of Cahorty, I think that was the cool thing. We, we got to see Cahorty go up against, you know, you know, an army of people, which is no no small task, right? But we to see her go up against like heavy hitters in the MCU, hold her own, was really cool. And and yeah. obviously Doctor Strange. So I mean, like, and, and obviously Cap- Captain Carter. But we all know Captain Carter and her will and her tenacity is, you know, was a was a, obviously yeah. A huge, our our huge. understanding of her is well established. Obviously, we're yeah. still getting to know Cohorty and what she can do. Yeah, but Cohorty seeing that in on screen was fantastic. Lots of fun stuff. Again, the balance of this episode with what they're balanced and what they're trying to accomplish is really impressive. It really does. Sh- I'm not sure if these writers are experienced in animation and in, in the, the time frames that they're given, but I've been extremely impressed with the writing team they put together for the season, and I would hope that they have earned more uh obviously they're gonna get a season three and i hope they're gonna come back for season three um the same writers and i hope they get more chances to do more material in the mcu besides what if because i think they've earned it these are some great great stories they get i think the biggest thing about this show we have to again we may have talked about a little bit but i want to really emphasize here just for a quick second is the fact that they when we talk about you a little bit with hella but they get the characters because the thing about the, the thing about with what if it's so important, and this goes for the comic books too. Now, you have to get a writer that understands the you know the characterizations of the character, even though you're you're giving them different things that happen in their life. They have to make sense within their character, and if they are vastly different, you have to give it a legit reason, and the responses have to make sense from within their character, and their and, you know and their narrative. Oh, the what your new narrative you're creating, but with within that also that complexity of the original one, and I think they have you know with the exception of Cohorty, who's a brand new character, they have done such a phenomenal job of capturing all those things in the season and really making it make sense within the realms of the character, other than just like this is bad Doctor Strange because he's really unhappy. Like they've right. really gone, I, I think, above and beyond giving us legitimate reason why these characters are doing what they're doing. And I think that should, again, I thought they did a good job of that last year or last season, but this season I think is even more spot on characterization and and dialogue given what's what they're with. Again, they're, they took it some big swings in this and I, in, in general. And I think this episode is a great example of that with Dr. Strange, Captain Carter. Um, just, yeah, really cool to see them really grasp the characters and understand what they're doing, even though they're completely different from what they, we know of them in, in the sacred timeline. Yeah, and I think that's that's a really great point, especially uh, the the other point you made about Cohorty and just to have now she's in the context of battling MCU characters we know with power sets that we're more familiar with. Just so in, just in terms of giving us the that comparison to be able to see where she's at and what she's capable of. Obviously, we got a great understanding of who she is, but we only just started to scratch the surface of what she can actually do with her power set. We get a much better idea of that coming out of this episode. But yeah, the the even stronger point there about how much they understand these characters. And I think 
the way they understand our relationship with these characters, how they can find moments to deepen our relationship with and our understanding of these characters. I think they are very effective in the way that they tell these stories and, and the the character arcs that we see. And again, it's, it's with, uh, with such limited time throughout the process of these stories. And, and I know it's a point we've, we've said a few times over the course of our two episodes covering, our two podcast episodes covering What If?, but it bears repeating because it's so much easier said than done, like easier for us to say this on a podcast, but to actually do it, to actually execute it the way that they have throughout now two seasons of what if it really is remarkable. And, and everything and every a lot of the things that they're doing throughout these episodes, they feel very, very earned. And and again, when you have a, a longer episode that explores a full redemption arc for Hela that sets up a moment here where it's a different iteration of Hela, but we just see it's such a key moment as she's falling into the forge and she just tosses the helmet to Captain Carter. And we believe in that potential for Hela because of the 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 story that we saw. So we we know that potential is there in any iteration of Hela. It may not always be realized, and sometimes she may just be the antagonist throughout, but that potential is always there and could be unlocked. And we saw that happen. Uh, very briefly in its own way in uh, in this episode. And we see everybody kind of following suit. Everybody is is throwing their weapons to try and aid Captain Carter and Cohorty in this fight. I mean, there's Hela's crown, there's a Mjolnir in there, the Ten Rings, that Thor Hulk, uh, Thulk sword or whatever gets thrown there as well. And we get to see, and Cohorty, meanwhile, is doing her best to save all of these uh, all these characters from falling into the forge, trying to portal them home. But it is this back and forth battle, and we see that uh, Cohorty ends up being able to claim Mjolnir, although she's using space stone powers to wield Mjolnir, so I don't know where we're at on the worthiness scale, although I'm inclined to think Cohorty's probably worthy. But uh, we see her wielding Mjolnir and the Ten Rings, and just looks awesome doing it. Peggy, meanwhile, is taking care of the rest, and we just have this crazy, with all these powers and all these weapons from universe killers, from righteous heroes... It gives us this medieval magic fight, and uh, uh, Strange Supreme is like morphing into this giant, uh, this giant like vampire horned devil that's just this ultimately massive grief monster, and this winged grief monster of Stephen Strange. And we actually see that this monster is what is what Strange Supreme is actually at war with. All of his grief over the loss of Christine, over the loss of his universe. And his guilt over the part that he obviously played in that being so instrumental to that having happened. And this is a, a strange Supreme who is at war with himself. And Captain Carter is trying to break through. And it's a it's a great action sequence. But what makes it great isn't just how visually compelling it is, but the emotional undercurrent that's there throughout and what's really at stake. And we see Strange Supreme trying to or Captain Carter, Cohorty, trying to plead with Strange Supreme, trying to get him uh, away from and, and not be controlled by his grief. But it's just it's grown, as he says, it's, it's grown too strong. It is beyond his control, not fully beyond his control, though, because as we see in the the closing moments here, as it looks like that, uh, as it looks like he's initially defeated, that monster comes back, tackles Captain Carter. They're falling into the fort. She's able to break free. And as that monster is trying to unleash one last attack on Captain Carter. We see Strange's face uh, emerge from there. We see him battling this monster that is within himself and ultimately sacrifices himself and that monster falling into the forge. 
as it explodes. So nobody else is going into it, but Strange Supreme makes his uh, makes his sacrifice. And the we learn later on in a few moments in the episode what that sacrifice actually was. In his last moments, what he did do, he was able to accomplish what he set out to do in giving birth to his universe. It is reborn. It is alive once again. But instead of on the condition of sacrificing all these other heroes and all these other villains from all these other timelines, the one sacrifice was really strange supreme himself, that his universe is reborn, but he will never be born or reborn into it. So now this timeline gets to exist once again, just without him ever getting to be a part of it. And that is the sort of choice. And it doesn't undo all the terrible things that he did. That's what I also love about the way the Watcher sums it up in this episode of like, he did all these terrible things. He was doing all these terrible things. But what Captain Carter saw was just that one ounce of good that still remained. And she kept trying to appeal to that. And she was successful enough that that one little bit of good of decency that was still there in Strange Supreme was able to make this choice, which was the correct choice. It was Strange Supreme's mistakes that cost everyone in his universe their lives, their its entire existence. So if one person is going to pay for that, it should be Strange Supreme, and now he is doing that. His universe gets to live just without him, which is fitting and just based on you know him being the one who undid his universe in the first place. So just it was really a, a fantastic resolution, I thought, to that story, um, and, it, and it played out in, in pretty epic fashion. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I one of the things I, I will say, my, kind of put a button on this for myself. Um, I think that what I loved about this this episode more, Sean, is that it, because of the morality story of it, um, that's very much in true with the comic books. A lot of them, when you read them, because they're so condensed. They are a lot of them, you know, telling more, like, not all of them, but a lot of them, I read, at least the ones I read in the 90s, uh, the, the volume two series, a lot of them had kind of morality tales of like why when these when they, when these alternate dimensions or alternate, excuse me, uh, realities happen and these alternate decisions happen, what exactly, why and what those mean and, and wh- why they are, they might change the heroes that we we all know and love and what make, might make them worse or, or might cause their ultimate doom. And everything and like why it's important to like the, the things that happen in our life are sometimes meant to be or, you know, or, you know, whatever, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I like the fact that it kind of reminded me of that. I thought it was a really well, well written way of, of doing that whole thing. And again, like ha- you have the stakes and it's all set up and it, it just, it's a perfect setup for his demise at the end. It's, it is perfect. And I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, again, that's why my third this is why it's my third favorite episode. I thought it was really, really cool. How they, they, and they put that in there. And again, it was for, you know, only focused on three main characters. And, and, and because of that, it was, a you know, if you count, don't count the watcher that is. Um, and, uh, yeah, I thought it just was really well done. And I love that. The ending was really cool. Gotta say it's one of the, one of the better endings of the, the any what if, uh, animated or story. Yeah, I thought it was a really perfect ending to the season, a perfect ending to the episode that they just uh, that they just introduced to us. Just thought they did such a, a great job. It was the right resolution to that story, I felt. And and I think that if there was one thing I, I had, my one main criticism of the episode is I didn't necessarily like that we just found out, you know, with the watcher saying it, that Cahorty was returned to her home world, her home timeline, like off screen. I do wish, you know, they did so much work introducing the character of Cohorty and did such a great job. 
I felt like there that character and us as the audience deserved a moment to kind of say goodbye to her for now. You know, deserved a, a little bit of a chance to to say you know farewell and, and until next time, so to speak. Even between Captain Carter and Cohorty, since it was such a great team up, I I wish they could have said goodbye to each other for a little while. Like I I wish we the episode had that moment. It, it would have made the episode even better if it had that. But even without it. There was a lot of great stuff here. And then, you know, the way they close it out. So now Captain Carter gets to see where the Watcher does all of his watching. And and before he returns her to her home world, her home timeline, she wants to take the scenic route. And it's just so cool when he says, just you watch. And it turns and ends on Loki's, you know, Loki god of stories, Loki you know, time god of every, everything else, like, where we see Loki's tree, his tree of life, his Idrisil, we see this at the end. So the same tree that Loki, we saw Loki weave together with all of these branch timelines in the Loki season finale. That's what we see here at the end of season two. And it puts it right there as the source, as the center of all of this multiverse stuff that we're seeing, all of these multiversal stories that we are seeing, including in What If. It's it's Loki right at the center of it. Um, which we don't actually see Loki here, but we know where he's at on that throne at uh, the base of that tree. So really, really great visual to end the second season. And it's the kind of visual where you could have let this stand as this is the last shot of any What If episode ever, and it would have worked that way. But I am so happy after everything that we got in season one, and then especially season two, with so, especially what we saw in the back half of this season, I'm so glad this is continuing, and I am so glad that we are getting more What If. I I cannot wait to get another episode of this series because you got some really great storytellers with Brian Andrews and Matthew Chauncey and AC Bradley and Ryan Little and everybody who's been involved creatively in this series. They are doing a lot of great, truly great work, and I can't wait to see what they come up with next. Yeah, agreed. I think this is great. I mean... One of the things that's really cool about, I think, this series and in, in the rumors that have kind of come out recently, Sean, is that they're saying that they want to make a Star Wars, which is there already is a Star Wars, like Infinites is what it's used to be called in the, in the Dark Horse comic books, like an alternate reality, but that they want to develop something like this for Star Wars. And I think it shows that this is actually working on um, some kind of successful way for Disney Plus for them to even pr- to think Star Wars needs something like this, which, by the way, I don't need this for Star Wars. That's just me, but I digress. Um, but just to me, again, just shows you the power, I think, of the series that it kind of is is sneakily being a little bit of a hit. And I think people underestimate this series because of its animation. They feel it's just a, a cash grab or a, a way to like, oh, it's just an excuse to throw more material at something to like, you know, get people to be like, hey, we got Marvel stuff. But really, it is more than that. And I think that's the cool thing about it is that I can definitely, as someone who's very honest and will definitely admit that I'm a homer and I, it's hard for me to, to hate anything Marvel-related, uh, I can safely say this is 100% worth watching and recommending to people. If you like this stuff, I think it's good storytelling. And that's ultimately what you're you know, watching this stuff for. And if you like fantasy, science fiction, genre storytelling – this is 100% for you, whether it's you live live action or animation. It is definitely worth checking out. So super, super proud of the people who have done this, uh, worked on this. I want, I'm, I can't wait for season three. I hope it's as good, if not better. And uh, yeah, I hope the people who wrote all these episodes and worked on this season also are given opportunities in uh, other MCU projects as well if they want them. 
Totally agree on that point. Whatever they're interested in doing, hear them out and, and uh, consider their ideas carefully because they have really good storytelling instincts and the ability to execute on those instincts uh, with the the final result. And and look, I think that, you know, to that point, Paul, about the idea of, you know, are they going to do a, a Star Wars version of what if or something like that? What that really speaks to to me, the fact that anything like that would be even considered is and, and as you mentioned, you know, people can always say, oh, they're just wanting to throw everything at their streaming service just to add some just to add more things to get people to subscribe. We're actually past that point in streaming. We're past the point of content for content's sake. Every people are actually making less, not more, because they have to try and make this be more profitable. So it's not just an automatic to make things. So any sort of consideration of what would a version of this look like for Star Wars and even any exploration on that idea is a testament to the quality of what if but also the success of what if i don't necessarily think that the audience for this series is maybe on the same level as the live action but maybe it's closer than we think and and certainly it's enough because if there was no audience for what if they're not thinking about doing this for star wars there there must be a a strong enough and a large enough audience for that is enjoying this series and more people continuing to check it out that's leading disney to and now Lucasfilm to believe that this is something that maybe a and whatever that a Star Wars version of that would be. And then we don't know that that would ultimately come to fruition anyway. But to even open up that conversation, it has to be based exactly. on the success of what if not any sort of uh, failure or anything less than an outstanding successful result for what if that I know we're seeing from a quality perspective and the numbers perhaps internally for Disney and Marvel and now perhaps Lucasfilm as well are a reflection of that. And and I hope so, because I, I love seeing when I love seeing good things be successful. That's how we continue to get more of good things. And, and quality work should be rewarded. And, and that's what I hope is happening for What If, because the creators of this series, these multiversal storytellers, they absolutely deserve it. They have earned it with the work that they have put in. That is where we will wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. Thank you so much for your continued support. Be sure to check out Fan Show Plus, patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or on Apple Podcast subscriptions for even more stuff, including Echo First Impressions on Fan Show Plus. If you want my immediate reaction to seeing each episode of Echo, you can check that out over there, in addition to extra MCU coverage. Also, make sure you're following us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. Don't forget to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show. And if you've already left your rating and review, thank you so much for doing that. You have made a difference for us. You all make a difference just by listening, but even more of a difference when you add uh, when you add in that Apple Podcast rating and review. So thank you so much to everyone who's already done so, and thank you in advance to everyone who is about to. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter, or X formerly Twitter, I should say, at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Please, please, please go to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge, and uh, go subscribe to that channel. Check out the videos. Go leave a comment. Select the like button, all that jazz. Uh, it is a, a lot of fun. This week, actually, the, my what-if stuff is not done. As uh, Tomorrow, I will be doing a live stream with my buddy Dell. 
who was named Buffalo Bills Fan of the Year uh, earlier this year. Wow, uh, nice. Good guy. Yeah, super, super rad dude. Um, he is going to join me, and we're going to be talking about uh, What If Season 2, kind of get a little mini review. And we're going to talk about what some What If comics that I really enjoyed. Uh, what If Captain America Formed the Avengers? or And we're going to dive into also the uh, original uh, What If Jane Foster Had the Power of Thor, which obviously became real. And just talk about how this, these stories, these What If stories, like like Cahorty, could very well end up being real canon and, and everything in, in some ways. So... It's just it's just a lot of fun. I I love what if I love the comics. I love the series, the animated series. It's it's a lot of fun. So go check it out. A lot of fun tomorrow. And uh, appreciate everyone who already has. And you can follow me on Twitter or X, formerly Twitter, and Instagram and Threads at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>